On this episode of Out of Bounds with Dylan James, we discuss the matchup between the Tennessee Titans versus the Indianapolis Colts on Thursday Night Football. We talk about the league starting up on January 1st for the NHL tentatively. We also discuss Russell Westbrook wanting to get out of Houston and the MLB Awards. If you like the show, feel free to subscribe to us, share us with your friends, and leave us a review. And We will also have a giveaway during this show, so make sure you tune in for that towards the very end of our episode. I'll give you more details on how you can win a Titans prize pack straight from the Tennessee Titans. So feel free to keep an eye on that. We will also discuss JT's football recap of the week, winners and losers, final thoughts, and a new segment called Connor's Corner. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Out of Bounds. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's Dylan James. You're listening to Out of Bounds. I have JT joining me as always. It's a wonderful Thursday afternoon, and there's a big game happening tonight in the NFL and the AFC South, the divisional showdown. Tennessee Titans versus the Indianapolis Colts, always a huge game to watch each and every season. The Colts have had the Titans number for quite some time, but JT, I think tonight the tides are going to turn. Well, we'll see, Dylan. To me, the Titans, this question is defense, defense, defense. And can their pass rushing game, which hasn't had any sacks as of yet, so with the exception of Jeffrey Simmons, he has two sacks, um, break down that offensive line for the Colts. The offensive line for the Colts has only given out eight sacks this season. So it's going to be a tough task for the defense. It will be. It will be. I, th- I think it'll be interesting to watch. We also have Desmond King now, too. He looked pretty good last week. And um, Yeah, I, he did really good last week. I, I think that – and that was with one one day of walkthroughs, and then the rest was just Zoom calls throughout the week. So they, he did not train or practice with the team last week except for Zoom calls and one walkthrough, and that was it. So he looked really good for that. But, uh, you know, we'll definitely talk more about that in just a little bit. But, JT, how's your week been going? Uh, how's how's your time been since we last recorded our last podcast? I was going to say, how long? It's been like at least a month, right? So, it's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of stuff has happened um, with, you know, all the holidays. And now it's past Halloween and Christmas is coming up. Uh, of course, this crazy election just finished as well. So a lot of stuff happens since our last show. But uh, for me, you know, um, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, just working at Under Armour still and looking at jobs, get my resume updated, get my cover letter updated, you know, and get ready for, for that. But um, other than that, my internship with Soccer King is going well. So, yeah, so far so good. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, trying to stay busy as well on my end with school and work and things of that nature. So definitely a lot going on, but I always love to, you know, take a step back and sit down and talk with you about sports. So let's jump right into it. Let's talk about the NFL first. But before we do, we're going to start off with a new segment with our friend Connor Butts, and we like to call it Connor's Corner. Connor, thanks so much for joining the show this week. Uh, We do have a new segment called Connor's Corner, and Connor's going to be joining us every once in a while to give us his takes on things that are happening in the NFL. Connor, give us a little little elevator speech about yourself so the fans can uh, know who you are and and why you're such a big uh, football fan. Uh, Nice to meet you all. My name is 
corner butts, as Dylan just said, everything. Uh, I'm a big Bears fan. I'm a junior in high school right now. Football's has always fascinated me since I was a little kid, and I just kind of wanted to get my voice out there lately. And I very much appreciate the chance to be on the show and get to communicate with y'all and just let y'all know my ideas and whatnot. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming on as well, and we definitely look forward to seeing what happens with this segment and see if we can get you out there. I mean, I think that it's definitely good to just kind of do it. And so now we can talk about football, and you get to talk about it to all of our fans, which is great with us. So uh, let's get right on into it, Connor. So let's start off with uh, your first point, the Antonio Brown signing. Um, I think it adds some fire to that Bucks offense, but, I mean, you break it down, like, the Bucks just—they don't seem to be put, putting it together. Yeah, it it adds fuel to that offense that's already going. But at the same time, he, they already had enough fuel, I think, in the tank. And I saw something. The Bucks—they—they're still one of the lowest ranks in passing to wide receivers. So I don't think this is gonna add much. But it'll be more of like a security blanket for Brady with him reconnecting back in week two or three, I think, when he was on a Patriot. They did pretty well together in that one game. So it could add something. Yeah, I think it. it... If anything else, I think that it'll definitely give Mike Evans and Chris Godwin some more openness in the field when it comes to receptions. I think that Antonio Brown's going to draw, maybe not double coverage at this point, but he's definitely going to draw some eyes from the safety as well when he's playing because he can definitely go off at any point. Uh, We saw how he was in Pittsburgh, and also, like you said, when he played with the Patriots for that one game, um, definitely getting a touchdown in his first game with the Patriots with Tom Brady. I mean, that's a huge connection there. But I think Antonio Brown will do some good things for the Bucs. Um, I, I think that he's not going to be number one wide receiver like we were expecting him to be in the NFL because, I mean, it's been a while since he's actually played. But this goes to your next point with the Bucs uh, being a contender or a pretender. What are you thinking, Connor? I, I think they're the biggest pretender in the league, to be honest, dude. I mean, like, they have games where they show flashes. I think... That Packers game, it was more of just the Packers, that their offense, their one-dimensional offense lately has just got exposed. That passing defense exposed them. And then the Packers' defense, is, it's been probably a bottom 15, bottom 12 in the league at the moment. And I think that offense just took advantage of that on that day. But then you go to New York, which is like colder and everything, and they barely beat a, a one-win team at the time who Daniel Jones has been struggling with turnovers almost had a victory against them and they were I think five and two at that point now they're six and three after a destroying loss by the Saints and the Saints really proving themselves as the true king of that NFC South so yeah I, they, I think they're the biggest pretenders in the league at the moment I think they'll be a wild card team at best yeah it's gonna be tough for the Bucks. I think that they did come into the season with high expectations simply because they had Leonard Fournette they had just signed from the Jacksonville Jaguars They had Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement. They had Tom Brady as quarterback, which, again, Tom Brady, uh, whatever he puts his hand on, turns to gold in most most situations when it comes to the NFL. But like you said, yeah, last week they did not look good against the Saints. The Saints looked like the the better team the entire game, only beating them 38-3. And that's that's saying something, too, that Tom Brady could not put up at least a single touchdown in that game because they were just shut down. I think that's that's something to be said about that. And with the Buccaneers struggling against the Giants and and um, only having blowout wins, I mean, really the blowout win they had this season was against the Raiders, which I think the Raiders are highly overrated as well. But, you know, I, I think that the Bucks definitely are, degress- are regressing instead of uh, getting better. 
and Antonio Brown did not do much for them last week. So we'll see if they're able to get back into the swing of things. But like like you said, I think they are definitely a pretender in the league so far. So let's move on to a big signing for the Bengals, McKinley from the Atlanta Falcons. What do you think about that signing? I think it's a huge – I mean – McKinley hasn't been the best in his career, but he he's shown big signs of flashing, being that like that superstar passer last year. I think it's going to be a big add on to Geno Atkins have hasn't been himself this year. Sam Hubbard has been he's been questionable for them, and DJ Reader was a good signing, but he's been all right in the pass rush. And they just traded away Carlos Dunlap, who was arguably their best pass rusher at that time, for a six round pick and I think a, a guard. And you add this young. DN, who's maybe maybe just a scheme change, will truly let him be able to develop better and get, get his production back up there. And I think it's going to be a huge boost to a Bengals defense that really needs to get a pass rush going if they want to have any chance at making the playoffs. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that McKinley will be a good piece for them, especially he's a boomer bust candidate, really. I mean, Bengals didn't really have to give up much for him. Um, for his cap hit, I think it's less than a million dollars for the season or something. So it's not a huge deal for the Bengals when it comes to the contract, but people were looking at the way Vic Beasley played in the Tennessee Titans organization when he was not productive at all, really, for the Tennessee Titans when they let him go. So I know they were drawing comparisons there, but I think McKinley's a different person. Uh, Vic Beasley, I just don't think he wants to play in the league at this point anyway. Um, He just didn't want to play the game of football. I think McKinley has more of a fire in him to play the game and to get better. So hopefully a change of scenery does work for him. I think the Bengals will be a good place to be, especially having that young quarterback in Joe Burrow. I think offense is there. The defense just needs to get better. And I think McKinley will definitely add on to that defensive line and do a, a good job there to bring some production there for their defense. So let's go to the Bears, your team. They've been on the decline lately. Uh, what do you think about that? Three straight losses. It's just, it's Their playoff hopes are going down, down with the Rams and Cardinals and Bucks all fighting for that. I mean, they, they had a tough loss against the Titans. That's a must-win game. You got to win there. And when you got David Montgomery, who's now on concussion protocol, that doesn't help. The defense, yeah, they were good for the most part, but they looked a little sloppy. That had that huge A.J. Brown touchdown that kind of clinched the Titans' win over the Bears at a 24-3 lead at, point, at one point in the game. You just can't let that happen. And they're they're t- facing a tough matchup on a, a team that's on fire lately, the Minnesota Vikings, who have Dalvin Cook, who you could argue is an MVP candidate right now with 800, I think it's 854 yards he has right now in total, which is just crazy. He leads the league in rushing yards. It's going to be a tough game, even in Chicago on Monday night. Yeah, and he definitely leads the league in rushing yards, only playing seven games a season so far, too, because he was out for one due to injury. So that's that's huge. That's a huge rusher to go up against for the Chicago Bears defense, even though the defense, I think, will be able to slow him down a bit because of Khalil Mack and all the playmakers they have on that defense. Defense is one of the main reasons why the the Bears have such a good record. But the biggest thing is is their offense. At this point, they have Nick Foles in their center. Nick Foles has not been producing very well. He's made some questionable mistakes during these games as well, um, Mm -hmm. interceptions and such. So I think that at a certain point, the Bears will have to look at potentially moving Nick Foles and bringing back Mitchell Trubisky. I think Trubisky, he was given the short end of the stick at this point. I mean, like you said earlier, we talked about before we started recording, that Trubisky had a 3-0 record. To start the season, I mean that that's that's huge for a young quarterback like that, and then getting pulled in favor of Nick Foles. 
I mean, he just hasn't brought that spark to the offense they were expecting. And I think they definitely need a spark to move forward and continue with the success they were having earlier in the season to be a contender for the playoffs this year. And last but not least, let's talk about the Eagles and uh, the NFC East. The Eagles are actually doing pretty well, and they um, continue. They hope to continue this winning streak going into this week against um, the Giants. Uh, I think, well, I mean, it, at this point, it seems very obvious that they're going to win that division. It's just more of how are they going to win it. you got the Giants, who are 2-2 two and two in the division. I mean, if they do win this Eagles game, they move up to 3-2. and two. But lately, it looks like the Eagles have been facing them together. I mean, you had a good divisional game that they beat the Cowboys, and then they went there. They hosted the, the Giants and beat them with a Boston Scott touchdown uh, in the corner of the end zone. And it just seems like lately that they put together, they win this game against the Giants. They move back to 500, which, I mean, is ultimately the goal for any team. And looking at their schedule now, I mean, the way it's playing out, they could somehow pull off a winning record, even though this division has been very questionable if they even deserve a playoff spot. I don't think the Cowboys will do anything. Garrett Gilbert, he's been – Garrett Gilbert, he's been basically he, – he's been a backup quarterback at best, and they just threw him in. He just hasn't been great. The Giants, I mean, Daniel Jones is undefeated against Washington, but that's only against Washington. And then Washington, their D-line's arguably the one of the best in the league, but their offense doesn't seem to put together with Alex Smith throwing three turnovers. So I think that this could be a walk away for the Eagles win their division with them piecing it together finally. Yeah, I think so too. I think the Eagles are doing pretty well. We have talked about it on this show before that the Eagles – are probably the best team in the NFC East given their given their roster and and also with um, Dak Prescott going down with his injury in, in Dallas and and uh, Ezekiel Elliott not playing to his full potential because he's been injured the past few weeks as well. I think the Eagles have the best shot of winning that division and like you said, I mean potentially getting a 500 record, which that's something that we were all expecting not to happen in this division because uh, it's just up and down the division. It's just not a good division. And um, I think the Eagles have the best chance to put it all together and go to the playoffs in this division. But uh, we'll see if they'll be able to hold on and uh, move on from there. So, Connor, any final thoughts before we uh, before we move on? Uh, I just I think my upset of the week is going to be Bengals over Steelers. That's just a sh- little shocker thing. I think the Bengals they've been up and coming, and the Steelers had a lackluster game against the Cowboys, where it kind of showed that you cannot underestimate a team, no matter what their record says. And I, I think a 21-20 victory could happen. Whoa. Maybe, maybe not. So you're here to hear it first. The Bengals potentially beating the Steelers this weekend. Connor, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Connor for joining us on the show once again for Connor's Corner. And like I said before, he'll definitely be joining us every once in a while to give us his take on the NFL and uh, get some more experience on uh, broadcasts. So that'll be fun to do. So uh, let's talk about the big game tonight, JT. It's the Tennessee Titans versus the Indianapolis Colts. Before we get started here, I do have a giveaway for the show today. And this giveaway will be discussed at the end of this show. So make sure you stay tuned for the podcast. But it's some, a really cool Titans Titans gift pack, I guess you could say. Um, I'll talk more about it at the end of the show. But we do have that to talk about. But the game tonight is going to be huge for the Tennessee Titans. If they win, they'll be 7-2 and two in the AFC, and they will have a clear lead on all the other teams in the AFC South. They will be 3-0 and in the AFC South, 
They'll have the seven and two record, and they'll be on their way to not being nine and seven again for the fourth year in a row. Yeah, Dylan, the Titans finally snapped their losing streak um, with their win last week. Um, with their win last week, a big game for the Titans on Monday night. Uh, I know it goes against the Bears, and the Bears have been struggling um, offensively. But for the Bears, it was oh, for the Bears. For the Titans, it was good to get uh, off the losing end and finally snap that losing streak after two tough, close games. And now it's the big one, like you said, against the Indianapolis Colts tonight. Um, the game will be at home, and the Titans. This is a moment opportunity, like you said. If if we win this game, we have a, a at the very least a two game lead in the division, and. You know, Ryan Tannehill is looking really good. David, uh, Derek David, Derek Henry is looking really good. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned, the only concern I have is the defense. But, you know, the defense, uh, I don't know what situation with Javon Clowney. I heard he was still having some knee issues. So I'm not sure he's going to be able to, if he's still going to play. Um, I do know Adore Jackson is coming off the IR list, but he's not playing tonight. So the good news is for the Titans, we're trying to keep win momentum going but get healthy at the same time. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, talking about the injury bug, I believe Jay Davion Clowney is supposed to play tonight. He is having that knee problem, so he has has have issues with that. Um, and then Roger Saffold actually will be playing tonight as well, which he was injured in last week's game. And on a short turnaround, he was able to come back. And I believe it's a shoulder injury. And I think it's kind of been nagging him all season, but he's been playing very well through the injury anyway which is a good thing for the Titans. So having that stability on the line with Roger Saffold is a huge thing, especially since we lost Taylor Lewan to a season-ending um, injury a few weeks ago. That that was a huge loss for the Titans. And we've had some issues with the offensive line so far. So hopefully we'll be able to patch those things up and um, iron them out for the game tonight against the Colts because the Colts' front seven, um, they can get to the quarterback. And so the offensive line is going to have their hands full tonight. But I think it's going to be a heavy dose of play action for the Titans. I think it's going to be a heavy dose of Derrick Henry for the Titans. And if they can try to get that run game going, that's going to bode well for them um, so they can open up that play action pass. But A.J. Brown, I believe he's gone five games in a row with at least one touchdown, which is huge for A.J. Brown's development in the Tennessee Titans organization. And Corey Davis. Corey Davis has looked really good the past few weeks as well. He's looking like he should have looked the first four seasons of his of his career, um, I, I think that that's that's definitely huge for the Titans to have two weapons at wide receiver like Corey Davis and AJ Brown, which that's something the Titans haven't seen. I, I, I'm I'm guessing not in a while, but not ever. I don't think where they have two wide receivers that are that talented on the outside. Yes, Dylan, the the Titans have finally started to pick it up. Um, offensively, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep this momentum going. Uh, Corey Davis, as we know, he's he's been through a lot after the, the death of his brother, but he's uh, trying to bounce back after difficult circumstances, and as you mentioned, the, the Titans looking good offensively so far, so they just got to keep it going, because remember, Dylan, after this game against the Colts, I believe the Titans are going to start getting into the tough end of their schedule. We got the Ravens afterwards. Then we play the Colts again 
on after on that Thanksgiving weekend, and then we have the Browns come to town. So this is going to be a big uh, uh, next couple of th- uh, three games coming up for sure. Yeah, for sure. And you, you look on the defensive side of the ball with Philip Rivers. He's been a, an interception machine this year. He hasn't been playing the best football in Indianapolis, which it, to me, it's not a surprise given his experience he had with the Chargers before he went to the Colts. I mean, he, he was not playing that well either. But having the Titans come in and play against Philip Rivers tonight, I think will be a good thing to boost that confidence even more after having the outing they had last week and the unfortunate um, the, the unfortunate penalty last week that led to the last-minute touchdown for the Bears to make it 24-17 to was the final score. Um, I, I think that that's definitely a huge piece for them. I think defense is going to be a huge thing. Desmond King coming into the game. Um, we, we got rid of Vic Beasley as well, but um, Roberson has actually come in and has play, he played very, very well last week on the edge. So I think we're going to have some good pressure on the quarterback tonight. And if we... Make it to where Philip Rivers makes mistakes and, and chooses the wrong places to throw the ball. I mean, I think that we can increase our our um, count of interceptions we have in the league, which I believe we're in the top five in interceptions in the league this season at nine interceptions for this for the year. So that that's a huge piece for the Titans is to increase that number and just keep it going. I mean, I think getting the pressure, having the coverage on the back end from the DBs, that's a huge thing for the defensive line. So Jeffrey Simmons, for for Clowney, for Roberson, for all those guys, I think that's huge for them. Landry, where they can actually get to the quarterback. As long as they can have the quarterback hold the ball for longer than two and a half seconds, which is usually the average a quarterback holds the ball against Tennessee Titans leading up into this game, then I, I think the pass rush can get there. Clowney has gotten very, very, very close many times this season and just has not been able to capitalize on it. But now that we actually have Desmond King playing, we have Malcolm Butler. He's playing at a very, very high level, especially since he's not necessarily a number one corner. He's, he's not supposed to be covering number one wide receivers. He's, he's a, a second cornerback usually. Um, but him, you know, facing the top guy, he's done a good job of, of doing so, so far. It's just that the other guys, Breon Borders has been playing. He played pretty well last week. He'll have his third career start tonight against the Colts. So I think that's going to be huge for the, for the Titans, um, to where they actually have coverage and the pass rush can get there as long as the coverage holds up and keeps guys, um, unable to create that separation against the DBs. I think that's going to be a huge thing for the Titans. So, Let's go back to let's go to our pickums, JT, for this game. Um, I, I I think I know who you're leaning towards, but who do you think is going to win this game? The Titans or the Colts? I think though the Titans will be able to win at home, um, especially because, like I said, if they get their pass rushing game going tonight to kind of scare the life out of Phillip Rivers. And the other key is stopping the running game, even though. The Colts running game, they only averaged like 102 yards this season, and it's right twice second in the league. So I'm pretty sure Titans defense can handle that and come out with a victory for the team, and we'll be at 7-2. Especially at Nissan Stadium, I think that that will definitely be a good place for this game to be played, especially the first time we face the Colts this season. Being at home, I think that's going to give us some some confidence going into two weeks from now when we play the Colts in Indianapolis. I think it's going to be a huge game too. So, but I do agree. I think the Titans will come out with a win tonight. Um, I think that 
it will be a close game because it always is a close game against these two teams. Um, I, I think the Titans are going to edge them out, though, and, and beat the Colts, and hopefully in the curse against the Colts that the Titans have had over the past decade, um, <laughs> going back to the Peyton Manning days with the Colts. So let's go to our other game day pickums here. Let's go with five top games that we have going in to this week. Um, let's start with the Eagles versus the Giants. <laughs> I guess you can say it's a top game because it's a good divisional game. Um, and it might sway who is leading in this division, but the Eagles versus the Giants. Yeah, Dylan, I mean, this is a tough one because it's a divisional game. It's going to be probably close, just like it was when these two teams played last time. But I'm going to lean towards the Eagles. Yes, it's a road game because they got to go to MetLife Stadium. But I think the Eagles will find a way to get going against the Giants, who have been kind of slipping as of late. And keep their lead in the NFC East. I agree. I think the Eagles are going to do it. I think if the Giants had Saquon Barkley on the field, it would be a different story. However, Saquon's injured and he will not be playing this season, uh, which is a tough loss for the Giants. But uh, yeah, I definitely see the Eagles edging out the Giants in this in this matchup. Let's go to the next game, the Texans versus the Browns. Do the Texans get back on the horse and start winning games, or are the Browns going to continue their dominance um, in the AFC so far? I think Dylan, the Browns are going to find a way to keep their win streak going against the Texans. Texans have been kind of free fall as of lately. And on top of that, they're going to be missing David Johnson. He's going to be out with a concussion. And with the Browns, they're starting to pick up uh, Nick Chubb. He did practice this week. I'm not sure if he's going to play, but for Cleveland, everything's looking really good for them right now. They're sitting there at 5-3 and three in a wild-card spot for the playoffs. Um, and I think the Browns will find a way to win this game. Yeah, I'm going to side with the Browns as well. Even if Nick Chubb doesn't play, I think that Kareem Hunt will pick up the slack there uh, for the running back stall there in, uh, in Cleveland. So I think that the Browns will definitely win a close one. I still think it'll be close because Deshaun Watson always likes to stay close in these games. But I still think the Browns are going to edge them out. Let's go to the Bucks versus the Panthers. Oh man, the Bucks! Uh, I think they want to have a, a night to forget after what happened on Sunday. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> was not was not pretty. But and I haven't seen Todd Brady like that. But I mean, you got to get credit. The Saints defense they really frustrated the life out of the Buccaneers. But I expect the Buccaneers to bounce back. Look for the Panthers. Christian McCaffrey is expected to not play in this game. And even though the Panthers kept it close in their last game, um, I don't think it's going to be much close. I think the Buccaneers will bounce back because this is a critical game, Dylan. You know, the Bucs are sitting at, what, 6-3 six and, six and three right now? So the Bucs lose this game, they're, they're in trouble. They're like in a wild card spot. And they got to keep up with the Saints, which they already know they swept them. So the only way they can be above them is the Saints start dropping games. But the Bucks, they got to keep hanging in there because if not, it's going to not look good down in Tampa Bay. You know, I, I do want to side with the Buccaneers, but after that performance they had last week, it's really tough. I, I know that Tom Brady doesn't like to uh, – he, he doesn't normally lose two games in a row, but that was the Bill Belichick system. And so now with him being in the Bucks, I don't know if they'll be able to bounce back like they – are used to bounce, used to being able to bounce back. So, I mean, the Panthers, 
Teddy Bridgewater's done a good job with the Panthers. Even when Christian McCaffrey wasn't in there, he's done a solid job, even though they, the, the record doesn't reflect that. Um, I, I still think the Panthers are a good team all around. It's going to be a tough one. I think the Buccaneers will probably edge out the Panthers, but the Panthers are going to give them everything they can, and it's going to be a tough game once again for the Buccaneers, but I think they're going to hold on in the end and win that game. Let's go to the Chargers versus the Dolphins. Well, it's looking good for Tua so far. He's 2-0, and and Tua Tungavailoa carrying the Dolphins, and I don't think many people were expecting that after they were had their bye week. The Chargers, man, Dill, your boy Justin Herbert, man, he this guy didn't start the first game, and he's on record to probably what, get over a thousand yards. He could probably win Rookie of the Year. He, I mean, he's been he can he's yeah been that, for sure. He's been that good, um, but I expect on the Dolphins, you know, being at home, knowing that they're trying to keep up that the, with the Bills in the AFC East. I think they're going to win at home, and Tua goes three and zero. Yeah, in this game, I mean, Justin Herbert, like you said, he has been playing very, very well. He's doing very well for the Chargers, and, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of a a weird circumstance in the sense that he only started because Tyrod Taylor got his lung punctured uh, during an injection before a game. Like, that's it's crazy to me. It's kind of like a an Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick situation where Alex Smith went down with, with injury. Um, Colin Kaepernick came in and just took over the role as starter. Um, although we do see Alex Smith now, he's going to be the starter for the Washington football team this weekend. So that's huge news for him. But yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day that the Miami Dolphins will be too much to handle for this game, even though Justin Herbert's going to give them a really, really good game. Um, I, I see, I see the Dolphins coming in there and winning just because of their defense, their defense is a solid, a solid unit there. So I think the Dolphins are going to squeeze by a game there. Last but not least, the Bills versus the Cardinals. Yeah, Joe, this is going to be a good one. Just like um, the week before, uh, the Bills were playing the Seahawks and the Cardinals were playing the Dolphins. Um, two very good games. And now you're going to have the, the, one of the top defenses in the league go against Kyler Murray and that offense. And the Bills, I think, Dylan, their defense is going to be able to slow down Kyler Murray. And... Um, for the Bills, I mean, their quarterback, Allen, is just tearing it up for them right now. And I think the Bills, even though they're going to have to go on the road, it's not going to be an easy game going out in the desert. But I think that the Bills, especially with their offense carried by Allen, will find a way uh, to uh, Josh Allen, find a way to get uh, that victory for the Bills on the road. And they're going to be 8-2 and keep that lead in the AFC East. You know, with this one, I think that this might be an upset alert just because how the Cardinals play. And I know the Bills have a good defense. They have good offense, too, and then they stunned the Seahawks. I think that the way they played last week um, definitely just kind of... The Seahawks were on their heels at that point. I mean, they they knew what was coming at them. Um, and they just couldn't stop it. And, and I think that they just kind of overestimated um, or underestimated the Bills in this situation. So going into this game, I think the Cardinals are going to go in there. They know what they need to do to secure the win, and I just don't see them losing two games in a row right now. So I say the Cardinals are going to go in there and defeat the Bills. It's going to be kind of like a Titans-Bills situation where the Titans came in and won against the Bills. I think the same thing is going to happen here with the Cardinals. So I think the Cardinals are going to win that one. So that will be my upset of the week. 
uh, for sure. So that's the NFL talk. Let's move on to the NCAA. JT, um, there's been some COVID things happening in the NCAA recently. Yes, Dylan. So like the SEC, they announced yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, but like Texas A&M and your boys, Tennessee, that game got postponed. Georgia, Missouri, that game got postponed. Our Mississippi State got postponed. And, of course, the big game that was going to happen this weekend, Alabama and LSU, that game got postponed because multiple players and contract tracing and all that hot mess um, had tested positive for COVID-19. So the league has decided to postpone their games. While the Big Ten, another Big Ten team, got their game canceled. No, it was not Wisconsin this time. They already lost two games. This time it was Ohio State and Maryland. Um, that game got postponed. Uh, Ohio State was supposed to go on the road, but now they don't have to worry about Talia Tungavailoa. That's Tua's brother. They don't have to worry about him anymore. So uh, I guess probably a good thing for Ohio State, but, you know, Ohio State's still going the favorites. I know the other big game that was COVID-affected was the Clemson-Notre Dame game um, that happened this past weekend. And Notre Dame came, coming back, Ian Book, carrying his team through adversity to come back and stun the Clemson Tigers on their uh, home, even though they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. So it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, these leagues kind of deal with COVID moving forward as these cases keep going up and up. Um, I know the SC commissioner um, has said, um, Greg Sinke has said that, you know, he's a little bit concerned, but not deterred. He still thinks that if they – the league can get through Thanksgiving week, they'll be able to stay on target to have the SEC championship game by December 19th in Atlanta. Wow. Well, speaking of NCAA football, we can talk about the top five teams in the league right now. Um, so number one is Alabama, of course. Number two is Notre Dame. Number three is Ohio State. Number four is Clemson, which Clemson just dropped down a few spots because of their loss against Notre Dame. Number five is Texas A&M. So do you think this is the year, JT, that Notre Dame actually makes it to the college football championship or college football playoffs and then makes it potentially to the championship as well, given their performance against Clemson last week? I think so, Dylan. Uh, especially, I mean, I know people, you know, talk smack about Notre Dame. Oh, they don't play anybody. But they are playing teams this year because they were forced to be in the ACC due to COVID. So they're actually playing really decent teams. And, you know, Clemson, that was a huge win. Now, granted, it was out Trevor Lawrence, but I still think, though, those two teams are going to meet each other in the ACC Championship game. So if that happens and they have to play each other again, hey, if Notre Dame, if you can beat Clemson again with Trevor Lawrence this time, then, yeah, you definitely deserve to be in the playoffs. Um, Alabama, I'm pretty sure they get through their schedule. They'll get, they'll get there. Ohio State, they'll probably get there for sure. And then the real battle is going to be four. I mean, Texas A&M could crash a party, but they already lost to Alabama earlier in the year. And then you have um, uh, Florida, the Florida Gators right now, after being Georgia, um, they are now the top dog in the SEC East. So you never know, Dylan. It's still wide open. The only thing I do know is the Big 12, uh, we're probably not getting in the playoffs. <laughs> Unless a bunch of teams start losing. Yeah, true. Which I don't think that's going to happen, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, my Longhorns had a good week. We beat West Virginia, but Iowa State's the division because they only have one loss. So they pretty much run a table, but I don't think the Big 12 is getting in. The Pac-12, I know you just started this weekend, 
But no, you're done, Pac-12. No, you're Bye-bye. done. You're so. done. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny though to me that like Notre Dame coming into the ACC because of this whole COVID thing, um, coming in now to a conference where they're not usually playing there, and they're playing very, very well. Like you said, it's interesting to me. I mean, will this be? And I know it's kind of weird because this will be the first time uh, that a team that wasn't in the division the year before comes in and just beats everybody. If that's the case, if they go to the college football championship and then they win the college football championship this year, um, that's just a really interesting um, circumstance there for Notre Dame fighting Irish. So they might have to look in at uh, staying in the ACC moving forward because I mean they're doing so they're doing so well this season. And if they can do that, then uh, who knows? They might decide to. Uh, make a move to that division. So we'll see. Anyway, uh, let's move on now to the NHL. NHL, there's been some news since we about last were on the air. Free agency started up, and the biggest free agency signing was Taylor Hall. And you would think he'd be going to a playoff contender, but no, he decided to go to the Buffalo Sabres instead. JT, what what do you think about this move by Taylor Hall? I think the move is very interesting, Dylan, that he's going to go to uh... – uh, Buffalo, um, it definitely was not a team that I expected to see that he would end up. But I think Taylor Hall, you know, he's betting on himself. You know, it's only a one-year deal, $8 million. Um, he gets to be reunited with Ralph Kruger, who was with him when he was back in Edmonton, uh, I believe during his rookie season. And you got Jack Eichel right there too. So, I mean, the combination, I think, for Buffalo is is decent. But we've seen Buffalo make moves done like this. But then they don't make the playoffs. So it's a huge risk I see for both sides. But hey, if Buffalo, I mean, right now we don't know what the Angels is going to be next year. But maybe in a shortened season, which is very likely, Buffalo could make some noise, Dylan. Who knows? Even though there is no trade clause or no movement clause in this contract for Taylor Hall, do you think that if the Buffalo Sabres are not doing so well, moving to the playoffs of the season, and they're getting close to the trade deadline, do you think that he will waive that to be moved to a competitor or a contender before the playoffs start? No, Dylan, because it's only a one-year contract. I think the only way Taylor Hall, if I were Taylor Hall, the only way I'm waiving that no-trade clause is that I'm going to a team that I can envision myself signing a long-term deal. So that's the only way I would see that happening. So I don't know if, if I'm just saying, for example, if he got traded to, let's say, Las Vegas, I'm sorry, the the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, that's probably a spot I could see and maybe sign a long-term deal. And if he feels he can get something like that and more money, then, hey, that's where he ends up. The only, bad, goes to, the only bad thing is, though, the Golden Knights, like teams like that, Golden Knights are right up against the cap right now. They're going to have to make one more move before the season even starts to go below the cap. So they're going to have to look at their cap situation. For me, I, I think that Taylor Hall, you know, I, I talked about this on Puck Off on JDF Sports and when we were discussing it, you know, to me, it's interesting because Taylor Hall is a very talented player. And for me, at the very beginning of this whole free agency thing, he was talking about how he wanted to go to a contender. He wanted to be on a contender and he wanted to stay on a contender because he wanted to get a cup. He didn't care about the money. He just wanted to be there to go to the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup finally because he deserves to win one. But he makes moves like this. He goes to the Buffalo Sabres instead of going to a contender or goes to the Arizona Coyotes last year um, instead of going into a contender. So to me, I think that he's afraid to go to a contender because he knows he'll play with other players 
that will have more of a spotlight on them than he does. So at the end of the day, I think that going to the Sabres was an interesting choice, but he wants to go there because he can be the big fish in the spawn pond. Even though Jack Eichel's there, yes, I know that. I still think Taylor Hall has a more of a spotlight on him than Jack Eichel does. So it's it's really intriguing to me that he he talks about not wanting to uh, not worrying about the money, but in this instance, he got eight million dollars to be there for a year. So he still went to a place that gave him good money. And it's not a contender. I, I'm I'm very confused by his move there. I know that, again, he, he's trying to be a big fish in a small pond. I guess he's trying to capitalize, kind of like Kyle Turris did with, in Ottawa. Uh, Matt Duchesne did when he was with um, Ottawa and then with Columbus. I mean, I, I guess he's just trying to capitalize that way by saying, look, I'll put up all these great stats on a team that's not going to make the playoffs and then try to get signed by someone else. But it's just a very it's just, it's a very interesting situation for me, seeing this whole thing play out. I was going to say with Taylor Hall, I'm not sure he would be afraid of a spotlight dealing because remember he was in Edmonton for a few years, and he also had Ryan Nugent Hopkins there, Jordan Eberle was there. That Edmonton team he was on had a good year, and he had like his last season there. He got 25 goals, 35 to 60 points, and I think the Oilers just traded him just because they probably knew they couldn't lock him up long term. And they'd rather move him and get some pieces than let him go away for nothing. So one thing's for sure, if Taylor Hall makes it to the free agent market by this time next, well, by hopefully next summer, I would say yeah. next year, um, he'll definitely be a, a prize asset for a, a team down the road. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so also with the NHL, the Winter Classic and All-Star Weekends got postponed. And it's probably, it's kind of up in the air at this point because of, um, the Olympics happening this year. I, I think the Olympics happening happening for the season next season. Um, I think they're going to have to look at that too. Um, trying to figure out, you know, planning of everything yeah, that's the, going on. Yeah, the All Star Game, I believe, was supposed to be in Nashville, right? Um, I don't. Or was it Columbus? I'm sorry. I think it was Columbus. Yeah, I think it was Columbus. It was in Nashville a few seasons ago. But no. with that, I mean, it, it's it's going to be tough for the league because, I mean, they have to figure out when they're going to play the Olympics, too. Now they're talking about potentially shortening the season as well. But the league is still saying they want to start on or around January 1st um, for the next season. So do you think this gives teams enough time and players enough time to prepare for this season adequately enough? Dylan, I think the NHL is still kind of wait and see mode, especially right now with, with COVID being such a hot spot, especially out in the Midwest and Northeast, you know, I, I don't see a January 1st as a realistic timeline. Maybe the end of January, early February, depending on what happens. But uh, I, the last update I heard from the NHL was on ESPN. They were talking about the NHL is considering uh, a temporary realignment. So I don't know if this is going to involve like hub cities and certain teams go certain places or something. But that's the last update I saw from the league that they're still sorting things out. And instead of doing, and I think they accept they're not going to do a full 18-game season. I think most likely it's going to happen. It's going to be a 48-game season, maybe 60 games at the most. And they may do a conference to keep it, you know, regional. So Eastern Conference plays Eastern Conference, Western Conference plays Western Conference. But who knows? Everything's so up in the air right now with this whole COVID situation. We'll just have to see how it plays out. And they're also looking at having an all-Canadian division as well because that's right, that's right. border crossing for Canadian teams is going to be a little iffy 
at the beginning of the season, but they said it might open up towards the end of the season, given what happens with COVID and things of that nature. So that's an interesting development as well. There's nothing in concrete yet. We have no idea any specifics as to what's going on. And I think that's the main reason, too, why we haven't seen much movement since the first few days of free agency when it comes to signing players. Because you see Mikhail Granlund, you see um, Hoffman from Florida, you see all these, uh, some of these big-name players that are still on the free agent market because they don't know when the season's going to start. So why sign something right now when you have no idea when you're actually going to be playing? So I think that's something, too, that you need to keep an eye on as well. I'm sure we'll have some more free agency moves coming down the pike soon when we when we actually find out what the actual date's going to be of the restart of the of the NHL. So we'll have to keep a close like a close eye on that. But let's go into our teams, JT. Let's start with the Washington Capitals first. What are some updates you can give us on the Washington Capitals and what they did in free agency? Well, you know, the Capitals have been for the most part, you know, very quiet. We've been able to keep, you know, a lot of our core players, you know, Nick Dowd is still going to be here and, you know, uh, Nicholas Baxter, hopefully he's healthy and he'll be able to play. Um, we also have looked at, you know, obviously we own the big room about uh, Eric Lugvis, you know, Jacob Rana is still there. And then of course, uh, Carl Haglin, you know, he's coming back for, you know, another season. So the only person we don't have, of course, is, um, uh, either Kolchuk, he's a free agent, but I don't think we're going to bring him back. So, you know, the Capitals have kind of kept, you know, mostly in-house with a lot of their signings. They haven't brought a lot of people, big names in, other than, of course, Henrik Lundqvist, the goalie. And, um, you know, Capitals, I think, like a lot of teams right now, trying to see how this situation plays out. And then once they get, you know, training camp officially going, then they might bring in a few play- players in, like young players, because we don't have a lot of money you know, to bring in and try them out and see if they can fit in the squad and then go from there. But for Washington, you know, just keeping the core together so far and taking it day by day. Yeah. Uh, for the National Predators, we signed a few depth defensemen because we definitely needed some more of that. So uh, Burrow Recchi and uh, Benning are the two players that we signed there for the defense. We lost um, Colin Blackwell, uh, Craig Smith, Mikhail Granlund, Holzer, we decided not to keep. Uh, Freddie Gaudreau became an unrestricted free agent as well. Yannick Weber became an unrestricted free agent too. So we had a few pieces that left, but then we picked up Nick Cousins, who will be um, playing for the Preds this season as well. Uh, Luke Kunin will actually be another player we got too. We re-signed Yakov Trinin to a contract as well, a two-year contract extension there for him, which he's actually playing in the um, in the KHL right now for Ska St. Petersburg. Um, so that's going to be a huge, a huge developing situation for him. Hopefully he'll be able to get the itch of the KHL out while he's there and then come back to NHL. There was some talk. There was some talk about him actually staying in the KHL, um, before he signed his contract, but now he's going to be playing for the Predators next season and the, the season after that as well. Um, no big moves that we've made so far, um, besides our, our pickup and Askarov in the, in the, in the draft. Um, we did sign Rim Pitlick, um, to a one year, two way contract. So, um, we'll have him for another year. Hopefully he'll be able to play some big minutes for the NHL club, but yeah, we have, we, we made a few moves, but I don't think we're done yet. I think we still have, um, about, I think 12 million in cap space and that's before we sign 
Kunin as well. We I don't believe we've signed him yet to his contract. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, so the Predators are making some moves. Hopefully they'll make some more moves before we get going with the season. And um, we'll see how they do next season with the youth movement they're moving forward with in the NHL. I think a lot of teams are doing that, especially with the flat cap and the Seattle um, expansion draft happening next season. I think we're going to see some interesting moves by NHL clubs moving forward going into this season. So let's move on to the NBA. NBA is now set to start for December 22nd. The NHL PA, I mean, NBA PA and the NBA came together and decided to go with that. So December 22nd is the start date for that. Um, JT, what do you think about the start date? I'm kind of surprised how, how quickly the deal got done. I kind of figured it was going to come down to money. You know, the NBA had to kind of pay a little more to get these players to kind of come back after basically two, being two months because we just finished season like the first week of October, the NBA Finals. So now we're going to get that start for Christmas Day. And I know if the NBA was a big deal because – they were going to lose like, what, a couple million dollars if they waited until January. Mm-hmm. So it worked out. And for the NBA, I'm not sure how the format's going to be. Whether it's going to be like another bubble or are they going to just go with no fans for a while until until they get other stuff going on. So I guess we'll see how that all plays out. But, no, it's definitely a, a good thing for the NBA. And, you know, LeBron James, he's happy about it. So if he's happy about it, hey, you know. Well, it's good to have basketball, and who knows? Basketball might be the one league that might actually have to play a full – well, it won't be full 82 games. I think it's, what, 74 games, right? Something like that, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's huge. I mean, I, I know that there are several teams that have already said there will not be fans in the stands for the se- the start of the season, at least, if not the whole season. So um, I know the Lakers were one of those teams that came out already saying there's going to be no fans in the stands. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting developing situation to watch throughout the season. Um, but let's shoot on over to another piece of news. Russell Westbrook reportedly wants to get out of Houston after the firing of Mike D'Antonio, uh, which was uh, or the um, separation of the Houston Texans and Mike D'Antonio, I guess you could say. Um, but that's huge news coming out of Houston. Do you think that Russell Westbrook um, will get moved this offseason? Well, I don't know about this offseason, Dylan, because we just mentioned that the new season is supposed to start uh, in less than, uh, almost less than two months. True. Not only that, Dylan, what's going to make difficult for a Russell Westbrook trade is his contract. He has a big contract in Houston, you know, because remember, they're paying him $132 million for the next three seasons. That's a lot of money, Dylan, that a team is going to have to eat up um, if they're going to uh, move him. So I don't know, Dylan. I mean, the most obvious thing you're going to have to look at is which teams would be able to afford to make a move. So one team that, you know, because we also have NBA free agency too. The NBA draft is next month. Then free agency should be short. And then you have um, the season. So, I mean, once a couple teams I can think of that could maybe make it work, you know, the Clippers, uh, the Clippers will also have to give up a lot, but they have the most assets. You know, I mean, not Kawhi, but they can give up, you know, Beverly. They can maybe give up Lou Williamson, Montrezl Harrell, and some draft picks. You know, the Clippers got a lot of pieces that they can give up to try to make to make work. One team that I keep hearing that's been rumored that's going to make a aggressive move this happens, and I'm not surprised, is the New York Knicks. 
Of course. Because it's the New York Knicks. You know, yeah, they're desperate. Well. They're, they're trying to get anybody to go there. You know, King of New York, all this stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised um, if they can make it work. Um, one team that maybe I'm, I, I was surprised to find this list, but I don't think it's going to happen. I know it would be the Orlando Magic. But for the Orlando Magic to, to make this happen, Dylan, you're going to lose probably Vucic, Gordon, or Fournier, and maybe a, a draft pick. And you're going to eat up some money too. And that's just a lot for the Magic to give up for one player. It will make us competitive, but we've made the playoffs without Russell Westbrook. So it's going to be very difficult for them to make that move. So those are the top three teams that I think will at least consider have the most interest. But with that contract deal, it's going to be very hard for Russell Westbrook to get moved. Yeah, I agree too. And I I think that Orlando Magic, I think they should kind of stand pat with what they've got right now, especially having Markel Fultz. He'll be coming in um, probably playing a bigger role this season than he did last season too. Um, And hopefully he'll be healthier as well. But I, I think that we definitely have some good pieces there in Orlando. I think we can do what we have. Uh, we can go to the playoffs again with the pieces we have in Orlando right now. Um, I know they'll probably have to make some moves, potentially in the draft or, or maybe trading as well. But I think that we definitely have a core base of players here in Orlando that can make us competitive at least. Um, and that, that's that's something that several teams cannot say, like the New York Knicks. So anyway, um, let's move on to um, this last piece of news for the NBA. The Toronto Raptors are looking for a temporary home because of the border crossing situation they have there um, in Canada as well. And Bridgestone Arena and Amelie Arena in Tampa, uh, Nashville and Tampa respectively, are both being considered for the home of the Toronto Raptors this coming up season. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's very interesting, Dylan, and I'm not surprised because I know in Canada they've been very strict on, you know, having people cross the the Canadian border. And we've seen this with the Toronto Blue Jays. They had to play in in Buffalo to finish their season. Uh, We've seen this in MLS with the soccer teams where the Toronto FC team was in Hartford, Connecticut, and Montreal was in New York playing in New Jersey at the Red Bull Stadium and in Vancouver. Um I believe they were either, I think they were in Portland. So with the Raptors, yes, they're going to have to find a temporary home if that is the case. And for Nashville, it's cool because Nashville, I believe there has been rumors that if the NBA works to expand again to 32 teams, then Nashville will be considered. So for them, at least, it's a test market kind of idea. If fans are allowed by then, if if we can get if they can get fans, you know Nashville can kind of do it as an audition. Hey NBA, come to Nashville, you know. Even though Tennessee has a team already, Memphis <laughs> down the road, True. but you know, hey, you know it could be a rivalry kind of thing. So who knows for Tampa or Tampa Bay, I guess in this case, um, you know, Amelie Arena, you know, it's I know it's mainly a hockey arena, but you know for basketball that'd be pretty cool too and. You know, uh, down the road from Orlando, and the the Raptors. You know, I think they can get some good fan support down in Tampa. I just kind of find it ironic that it's Tampa that they're considering Tampa because, you know, with the whole situation with the Rays and them talking about splitting games between Tampa and Montreal. No so, kidding. I don't know if there's a relationship between Tampa and Canada, but hey, I guess that extends relationship. Who knows? 
Yeah, we'll have to see about that one. I mean, I, I think it is interesting for both areas. I think Bridgestone potentially, I mean, or Nashville having an NBA team might be a bit of a stretch simply because they're already looking at doing an expansion team there for the MLB as well. Um, and having too many pro sports in one city, I don't know if it would actually work in Nashville or not. Um, I, you don't want to stretch yourself too thin. And, you know, you already have the Nashville Predators there. You have the Tennessee Titans there. You could potentially have an MLB team there, too. I know that um, Eddie George just jumped onto that train as well, being a, a backer for um, MLB in Nashville. So who knows? I, I think that it'll be an interesting area, especially if it's bringing in more money for um, either Bridgestone or Amley. I think it's a good opportunity for them to have the Raptors for the season. Um, we'll definitely have to see who is, is able to acquire the team for the season and um, be the temporary home for the Raptors. So that'd be really interesting to watch. Let's head over to the MLB. We'll have some quick hits here. So the biggest ones, we had two hires, which both of them are interesting. Um, the White Sox hired Tony LaRussa as their manager, and Alex Cora got rehired by the Boston Red Sox after being fired before this past season. JT, what do you think about these two moves? Yes, Dylan. Uh, well, let's start with the. Uh one that's getting the most talked about, especially after what's been going on recently, with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the team, bringing back Tony La Russa after he fired him, what was it, 1986? So, yeah, it's been that long. And, of course, Tony La Russa, he's been retired. He was with the Cardinals, won the World Series in 2011, then he pieced out. Then when, it was two weeks ago when they hired him to bring him back after being out of the game for nine years, and people were questioning the move. Why are you bringing a manager, old school manager, okay, that is, you know, said some controversial stuff about issues that's been going on in our country, of course, but also um, talked about, you know, not being a, a data analytics guy and gelling well with the players. And then, of course, a couple of days ago, an affidavit was released by ESPN saying that he was arrested. He got a DUI in February, like right before the team hired him. And the ownership's like, yes, we know about this, but yeah, we hired him anyway. And many White Sox, White Sox fans are asking themselves, you know, how are you going to keep a manager at a job when he can't obviously manage it himself? This is the second DUI he's had in his career. So, uh, you know, the White Sox, have all they said so far is, we'll let the situation play out and see how it develops. But... The only reason why I don't understand the White Sox made this move, Dylan, is because they had other options. You could have got Alex Cora. You could have got A.J. Inch, who's now down the road in Detroit. You could have got other managers that were available. And instead, you went with a guy that doesn't fit with the system. So let's see how it plays out. As far as Alex Cora goes, I'm not surprised that the Red Sox brought him back because, look, he served suspension, did his time kind of thing. And, you know... You know, it was a controversial fashion. Let's face it, Dylan, the Red Sox were horrible this year. Absolutely terrible. So I was not surprised they made a rush to bring them back because they need to be competitive in the AL East when you got teams like Toronto, Tampa Bay, going <laughs> to the World Series this year, and, of course, the Yankees making all the noise. So Red Sox, they're just doing this movie to try to stay competitive. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to see Alex Cora get rehired. It's kind of like the MLB just slapped him on the wrist, said don't ever do it again, and they were able to hire him right after the season ended. So that's that's a huge move for the Boston Red Sox. And then Tony La Russa not being in the game for nine years, and especially like you were saying with the data and analytics they have these days, I mean, is he really in sync with what's happening in the league? Um, I guess that's just something that we'll have to figure out later in the season. But definitely an interesting higher by the Red Sox, by the White Sox there, and the Red Sox hiring Alex Cora was kind of, uh, it was known that it was going to happen, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this guy got cheat, got caught cheating, and um, at the end of the day, he just got his wrist slapped, and hey, don't ever do this again, put lotion on it, and then got him back out there as a manager for a team, so interesting situation for both teams, but we'll see how it pans out throughout the season. So let's talk about the awards that have happened in the NMLB. We'll just run through these real quick. So the Cy Young winners for the National League, it was Trevor Bauer from Cincinnati, which he's the first pitcher to win the Cy Young Award in Reds history, which is actually an interesting st- statistic there. And the American League, it was Shane Bieber for Cleveland for the Indians. He played really well this season. Um, rookies of the year, it looked like Devin Williams from Milwaukee Brewers got it for the NL. And for the AL, Kyle Lewis from the Seattle Mariners got the award, got the nod there. And last but not least, the managers of the year, Don Mattingly from Miami, which apparently you can just have your team completely get COVID and then still win manager of the year. And then the AL, we got Kevin Cash, who was the manager for the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay um, uh, Rays. Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, Tampa yep. Bay Rays. Yeah, so Kevin Cash, congratulations to that. And tonight we will have the MVP announcements for both leagues. I am keeping my fingers crossed to see Freddie Freeman potentially win it for the NL uh, for the Atlanta Braves. Hopefully he wins it because he definitely deserves the award. Um, but we'll definitely see if he'll be able to to uh, squeak by with that win for the MVP. And JT, you got anything else before we move on? Yeah, Dylan, that MVP race to be very interesting. As you mentioned, Freddie Freeman for the Braves. You got Mookie Betts for the LA Dodgers and Manny Machado for the Padres. So both play, all these three players, you know, making a, a big case for the MVP title. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but we'll find out tonight. Yes, we will definitely find out tonight. It'll be very interesting to watch. So now we are going to move on to JT's favorite segment of the show. It's the JT's football recap of the week. And JT, the microphone is all yours, sir. Thanks, Dylan. As always, out of bounds, we're here to recap the latest from the beautiful game. And let's start here with Orlando City. Uh, Orlando City, of course, have been on a good run, um, but our win streak came to an end on Sunday as Dylan, your boys, Nashville SC, beat us 3-2. to two. But it didn't matter because Orlando City had already clinched a top-four spot in the playoffs. So now Orlando City, they finished in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, and their playoff date will be on November 21st at noon where they will host their first playoff game ever in franchise history, taking on New York City FC, who will be coming into that game on a four-game win streak. But Dylan, as you mentioned, your boys, Nashville SC, they also made the playoffs this year. First year in MLS, Dylan, and they made the playoffs. Good for you guys. Yeah. yeah so now sure. you guys will be playing uh, Inter-Miami, our rivals, uh, Friday, November 20th. But the game will be at Nissan Stadium. So you guys will be at home. I wish you guys the best of luck. Thank you. Uh, for Orlando City, that was the only big news that they got 
the other big news for Orlando is the CONCACAF Champions League. They announced two days ago that they are bringing, they're going to finish that tournament right here in Orlando at Exploria Stadium. So you're going to have teams like uh, LAFC. You're going to have, uh, I think Tigres is there. Yes, Tigres. And you're also going to have um, other clubs come in uh, to help uh, finish the season for that tournament. So that's very, very exciting. Of course, uh, Atlanta United will be there as well, and New York City FC and Cruz Azul. And of course, international news. Right now, we got a lot of World Cup qualifiers and friendlies going on. The U.S. men's national team just finished up their game against Wales. It was a 0 0 draw. Uh, Christian Pulisic was sent home. Uh, the completed training at Chelsea after recovering from uh, injury. But U.S. men's national team, it's the first game they played in you know, nearly a year and a half after, or since February, I'm sorry, after this whole shutdown with the COVID and everything like that. So we'll see if they build momentum because they're going to have Olympic qualifiers for the Tokyo Olympics next year, also the Gold Cup. And, of course, their World Cup qualifying will probably start next fall. So U.S. men's national team will have to get ready for that. But outside of that, that includes the football recap of the week. Let's move on to winners and losers this week. I'll start with mine. The winner for me is Adam Silver and the NBA front office and the NBA PA for coming together and getting this decision quickly made about the December 22nd start date for the NBA, which is fantastic for the league and fantastic for fans as well. So congratulations to that. And my loser this week comes from the matchup last week, the Ravens versus the Colts. And it's Philip Rivers for his very sad attempt of trying to tackle um, a Ravens defender, Chuck Clark, as he was running back a fumble. And it was Chuck Clark and Philip Rivers, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, as Chuck Clark was sprinting down the sideline to get to the end zone. And Philip Rivers just, I guess, the turf monster came up and tripped him up. And Chuck Clark just hurdled over Philip Rivers. He looked helpless out there laying on his back and stayed there for a little bit after that happened as well. But uh, Philip Rivers is my loser. Hopefully he has some sort of play like that tonight against the Titans. I have my fingers crossed and I already had a a Colts fan, Ryan Hoover, a good friend of the show as well. He uh, texted me just a little bit ago saying that he expects Philip Rivers to throw at least two interceptions tonight. So um, I, I, couldn't agree more that I think that that's probably going to happen against the Titans, but hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, we'll play that well against the Colts tonight. JT, who are your winners and losers this week? My winner this week, Dylan, is some Maction, some football from the MAC conference as Western Michigan. Uh, I'm not sure who heard about this, but they played last night, and Western Michigan, you know, had to, they missed the PAT, and Toledo was winning this game. They were, They had like a, 90% chance of winning this game with two minutes to go. So Western Michigan had to go for an onside kick. They got to go down the field, fake a spike. They actually they were going to spike the ball, faked it, and then threw it in the end zone for a touchdown for Western Michigan to win the game and stun Toledo. And that was with 19 seconds to go in that game, Dylan. So Western Michigan, they are my winners this week. Uh, my loser this week, Dylan, um, you know, is going to have to be, you know, all the fans, you know, storming the field after Notre Dame got their big win against Clemson. Uh, I know, obviously, it doesn't look like a good look with COVID and everything going on. And I know Notre Dame was a big game. You know, Brian Kelly, first win against a top five opponent. I get it. But, you know, it 
Notre Dame, like, everyone was freaking out because, like, after the game, everyone was like, what are they doing, blah, blah. And now Notre Dame is like, gotten much stricter now because now they're saying all those fans that ran the field got to get tested. Like, it's required now. They have to get tested. And then they're talking about their students, like, they're trying not to talk them going home. If they go home, they got to get tested and quarantined. And they don't get tested and come back, then they're going to expel for the next semester. I'm like, man, Notre Dame, these guys are not messing around. <laughs> so uh, that all those fans storming the field, I mean, I guess it was very costly. So that's my loser this week. Yeah, that's uh, that was definitely an interesting situation there. Uh, Notre Dame definitely throwing down the gauntlet for the fan, for the fans there, saying you better go home and get tested. Um, yeah, that's definitely not a good situation for Notre Dame fans or players alike. So move on to the final thoughts. JT, I'll start with you first. Well, my final thought is, you know, the Super Bowl, whether we're going to have fans or not, it's okay. Why? Because the weekend is going to be there and he will be, uh, the performer for the Super Bowl halftime show down in Tampa on February 7th in 2021. So, I think it's, you know, very interesting, you know, because for a while NFL is kind of going the old school, you know, people that are going around, and they're like Bruce Springsteen, you know. But now, Dylan, it's very interesting. They're going to more of this kind of modern, uh, you know, artists that are very influential, you know. So obviously The weekend, but, you know, they also had, you know, Lady Gaga, you know, Katy Perry, and, you know, Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, last year so you know it's very interesting how you know the nfl is you know kind of changing and going with the times i guess kind of thing but it's, it's pretty cool but that's my final thoughts on you know the super bowl halftime show for next year dylan what is your final thought my final thought goes out to the giveaway we're doing this week it's a pretty big one actually um i have a good friend joey meredith who is one of the Titans sales um personnel there for the Tennessee Titans and he sent me a package the other day that included some pretty cool stuff and it's going to be a Titans price pack we're giving away for the show so first piece is a Titans Gaither they actually gave out during one of the games this season so that's gonna be included a Titans koozie a Titans pair of sunglasses as well it says the Tennessee Titans on the side of them and last but not least this is probably the coolest part about this prize pack is a Eddie George and Steve McNair flag during their game from last season. Um, They did the memorial for both those players. So huge prize pack here for the Tennessee Titans. All you have to do to win this prize pack is go on to Apple iTunes on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We're going to be looking for reviews there. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, a written review as well, of the show, just telling us what you like about the show. That's all you have to do. And from those, we will randomly select one of the people who leave a review there um, for the show. So once again, just go on iTunes, go to our show, and leave us a, a rating and a review, hopefully a five-star, if, if you think we're we're up to that. Um, a five-star would be fantastic, but leave us a rating or review there, and we will definitely be choosing a winner on our next episode of Out of Bounds, which will be in about two weeks. So feel free to get those reviews in there. And uh, we, we will read some of the reviews as well. Even if you don't win, we'll read some over the air during our show next time. So huge giveaway there. Titans flag, Titans sunglasses, Titans koozie, and a Titans gaither as well. So thanks for listening to the show this week, guys. You can follow us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, 
Everywhere you can find a podcast, you can find us. You can also follow us on all of our social media channels. It's at OOB Podcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. It's Dylan James underscore FL or Dylan underscore James on Twitter. And JT, what are your social media handles, sir? You guys can also follow me on Instagram at JTSaka88. That's at, oh, I'm sorry. That's my Twitter page. <laughs> that is my Twitter page, not Instagram. Twitter at JTSaka88. Instagram is at JTSaka Sports. That's at JTSOCKA Soccer Sports. And you can also reach out to me on my personal website. It's www.jtthesportsguy. And JT, I think you did start a new show as well on Instagram too. Tell us a little bit more about that as well. Uh, yes, that was for my school project, but I'm still keeping it going. It's called Nisa Today FC. And of course, it's a soccer league show, but it covers a Division Three soccer league that's growing. Um, you got MLS as the top division, USL division that's the second level, and the USL League One and Nisa are the same level. But it's a league that's different because they're doing a promotion relegation at some point, open system, teams can come in from anywhere, and, uh, you know, they're doing pretty good. I did an interview with uh, Peter Wilt, who was a soccer executive for Chicago Fire and for Madison, and now he's starting a team in the same league, NISA, in Chicago as well, and other things. So it's a very good show. If you guys want to check it out, you can follow that on Twitter, at NISA underscore Today FC. Instagram, same thing, NISA underscore Today FC or on Facebook at Nisa Today FC. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thanks for listening once again, guys, and we will talk to you in about two weeks. 